The mullet can tire looks like a flaccid penis. Perfectly normal beast tastes like chicken. The Beatles are dying in order of talent, which basically means that Ringo's gonna live forever. You don't want to get on the wrong side of our mood. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Steadman. I want this machine off, and I want it off now. I'm John Burns, and if I ever meet myself, I'll hit myself so hard I won't know what hit me. <laughs> I'm John Hickman. I would love to stay and help, only I'm not going to. <laughs> this is our 40th episode, so uh, we thought we'd celebrate by doing things exactly the same as we did last week. Uh, so we begin with the King of Whimsy. In Life, the Universe and Everything, we're treated to Adam's thoughts on Paul McCartney. One of his little one-liners in reference to a tune being sung on cricket is, Arthur could almost imagine Paul McCartney sitting with his feet up by the fire one evening, humming it to Linda and wondering what to buy with the proceeds. John, as any one of us who's had a chart-topping single, uh, what's the key to a good hook? Oh, uh, I should actually... um... I need to correct the record here. Actually, both both uh, both the Johns were involved in this. Particular oh no, that's project. that's true. It's just you're the one who took credit for it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who had to go on the telly um, as the okay, as, as, as the uh, as the front person. For, one who took credit it. for it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, ha- has this been entered into the into the canon of uh, Beware of the Leopard? I know it's on, I know it's in the canon of other. Oh things. yes, <laughs> it's been mentioned. Okay. Uh, more than once. Has it really? I don't. I don't. Yeah, by on. you. I don't bang on about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, it's been brought up. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's, the, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the key to a good hook? Well, I'm more of a Svengali than anything. I'd say so. Uh, sure. The key to the, the key to a good hook is uh, get those young musicians and keeping them mean. Really, uh, keep being mean <laughs> and keeping them keen. That's that's the way that. That's the way I like to run the operation there. That's how you uh, knock mm-hmm. Shania Twain off the country and Western top 40 <laughs> on Amazon. Did I mention that, that we did that? That's the thing we did. And w- when it happened, um, did you say to John, hey, lads, looks like we made it. <laughs> so I wrote a few of the lyrics, not all of them, but a few of them. So uh, I, can, I can see myself here with, with uh, the great Macca. <laughs> in, in, in this sense. Um, you know, I, 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 I wake up. You know, he was, was it, hey Jude, he woke up and supposedly had dreamt completely. <laughs> yes. Um, there have been times I've woke myself up laughing at a joke once or twice. <laughs> they're never as good as uh, when you're asleep as, as when you wake up. Oh, are God, they? no, they're awful. Some of them don't mm-hmm. even work. No. But I've, I've almost choked on the, the pillow um, <laughs> because I've been laughing so much. <laughs> And after, and after I realised it didn't work, I was a bit down in the mouth. <laughs> oh yes! Is this time to actually? Shall we? Shall we have a talk about the role of Paul McCartney in popular culture? I think it's. Uh, oh yeah, I think it's about high time we did because I, th- I think we can come at this um, from what we know of Douglas's appreciation for music and musical skill. You could tell, and um, he was a huge Beatles fan, but you could tell he'd be a Paul <laughs> oh. rather than a rather than a John. Yeah. Or a George. There are limited numbers of people who are George. Very few are still who are Ringo. But you could tell he'd be a Paul. Yes, absolutely. Because of admiring the the craft of melody and the craft of songwriting, and um, that's that's quite that that's quite interesting. It's quite interesting that when these books were written. Paul McCartney seems a little bit of a joke figure, wasn't he? He was the one that um, everybody was thinking. Oh, it's a pity he didn't die. Oh. Instead, <laughs> people genuinely used to say that sort of thing. 
I but, think he's even. I think it's evened out a little bit now. Well, it's it's there's also the joke of um, the Beatles are dying in order of talent, uh, which basically means that Ringo's going to live forever. <laughs> I won't hear a word say against Ringo. You know the um, no. Likewise, he's a better drummer than I am. <laughs> you know that the uh, supposedly uh, joke about him not even being the best drummer in the Beatles. Yes, that's supposedly credited to to John Lennon. Yes. You know, it was ju- it was Jasper Carrot that said it. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Jasper Carrot's not even the best comedian in the Birmingham. <laughs> there was a thing on Facebook um, uh, a, a while back. It was it was an advert, right? And it, and it was a video on Facebook. Now I don't watch videos on Facebook um, unless they've got words in them. Sometimes I watch so much, so I very very rarely would click on a video that had sound. Um, but this this video was on there, and for some reason I clicked on it, and it was lots of drummers, and they were all talking about Ringo. And it was like I was peeking behind the curtain into a world where actually all the drummers in the world say that Ringo is actually the best drummer in the world. I've heard lots of like proper talented musicians say uh, Ringo is uh, like a really decent drummer. Yeah, and I did. I, I didn't know if it was a. I didn't know if it was a bit or what it was, but it seemed to be an advert for something, and it didn't seem to be tongue in cheek, and everyone seemed to be. So why is there this mismatch between Ringo and Ringo? Is it a parallel universe to, to kind of go back to last No, I, my, my guess is actually he just got a lot better um, because you can hear that he's not very good uh, in, in the first, um, so the fir- certainly the first album, and he couldn't sing and play. I mean, that's really, really hard. And, uh, but I, I, I would think, um, I think he got a lot better and the songs got a lot more complex and there were more demands on uh, someone like him who's got to really keep time with you know him and paul need to be in sync when they're doing some of the more complex songs on something like you know sergeant pepper or whatever because it's not like they can just fix it in pro tools but two interesting facts about paul mccartney that you may or may uh be, not be interested to know the long and winding road mm. is the a83 oh. <laughs> oh wow because it was the road that was leading to his uh scottish uh homestead of course. And the Mullock entire looks like a flaccid penis. <laughs> well. I'm actually, I was looking at uh, going on holiday to uh, Jira, the uh, island of the coast of Scotland. and um, Jura. You... Jura, mate. Jura? Jura. We're not doing dev work today. Yeah, Jira is where you uh, submit your support tickets for uh, faulty software. <laughs> I was just thinking about going off on holiday to jura however you pronounce it um and you can take the ferry from the from the mole of king tire or near the mole of king oh. tire and i just thought what does that look like mm. big floppy panhandle um <laughs> it's uh yeah it's quite but the, oh, so that's not really a paul mccartney fact but it is the mole of Kintyre really that um douglas is talking about in the in the books isn't it is that's the it's a jaunty pastoral melody it's really that dull will buy you a large tract of land it's really dull i i think his his reputation of writing um inane music um is not entirely uh <clears throat> unfair when you look at something like wonderful christmas time which you know really was just oh here we go i'm gonna i'll, I'll write about a uh, two two different melodies and we'll bash them together and then uh, I'll just keep, let the checks keep rolling in. That sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> You're normally very good at voices, Mark. That's not a good pull. No, John, I how's your pull? Because I, I, I've I've got actually I've actually got a bit that I need um, someone to be able to do a good. Uh, great, great mate. All right, you know, uh, 
because uh, it's a bit like this, you know. It's bit, um, it's coming, it's coming uh, a bit, a bit low, but you still got a, a hint of uh, a hint of uh, a scouse in it. Why is why is everyone's pull so fast? Go on then, go on then. I'm not going to no, no, I'm not, I'm not do the voice. But no, what, no, 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 no. Yes, you are. What I would like no, to do? No, no. I'm gonna. You need to do the voice because you've just poo pooed my voice and you just poo pooed John's voice. So you need to do your voice. I'm not here to do voices. I'm, yes, you are. Once you've backseat driven paint, mine gonna, and John. I'm going to paint a picture No, with we're words. not going to move on. We're not going to move on until you do your John voice. Paint, uh, we're not going to move on until you do your Paul. I'm going to paint a picture with words. No, nope. I'm going to completely, I'm just going to keep talking over you. Such a bad chairman. I'm not driving on any metro. <laughs> Great. What I, would like, what I would like everyone to do is to imagine Paul McCartney saying... Oh, hello, Earthman. <laughs> and I think we found our Slotty Bart first. <laughs> oh, oh, hello, hello Earthman. Uh, and now, um, from one Paul to another, sort of. Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings is from Essex and is the worst poet in the universe. She is not to be confused with Paul Neil Milne Johnston, who died in 2004 and is a real person, uh, but hailed from the same county and was an actual poet of some success. He was referred to by his real name uh, in the radio series, but all subsequent versions used a different one. John, Mr. B, how do you suppose, why, why do you suppose that is? I suppose it's because uh, Paul Neil. Milne Johnson doesn't have a particularly good sense of humour. Don't sue us, Paul. Um, <laughs> that's all right. We can't libel him. He's dead. Oh, that's good uh, that he can't libel us. I mean, yes. Um, yes. I don't. So um, yes. Yeah, so as, uh, I, as I've, I don't, this isn't uh, imbued knowledge that I was. I either uh, was born with, or um, I. My, you know, I, I researched myself. I did read it in a book, but um, yes, the original Paul was a uh, a school contemporary of uh, uh, Douglas. They actually edited a school literary sort of magazine together, um, and uh, apparently Douglas was trying to l- sort of liven it up, and uh, Paul decided to dull and pretentious and boring it down with his poetry. And uh, Douglas was uh, basically uh, remembering that it was his poetry was a bit shit, um, and putting in a thing. But he he got apparently he got very upset um, at his name being used in the original radio series. So much so that when they re-recorded the original radio series for commercial release, as the BBC will want to make you do many years ago, um, it was released, and then they had to um, edit out his name but it was you know with tape and everything a lot more of a difficult operation and remastering and all that stuff so what they did was probably um a highlight and a forerunner of lots of the times when radio one need to quickly make a radio edit of a popular but sweary <laughs> rap song and it goes backwards and it goes yo we're all be going down the and the street um, and basically, they just reverse the bit of tape because it's it's exactly the same length, and it drops in, doesn't spoil everything else. Um, so uh, yes, Peter Jones probably did the first ever sort of uh, backwards rap swear sample thing. <laughs> that's that's quite beautiful. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've um, we talked recently about Stephen Fry in the context of of um, his lifelong friendship and connection with Douglas and him being written into the canon um, in in an identifiable way that he he kind of went on to own. Obviously, um, he saw that portrayal as affectionate 
and embraced it. But he he might he might have been upset at the what was the um it was the soup spoon thing wasn't it mark my old silver soup tureen yeah my old silver soup tureen um so that you know that was that was definitely playing on on a tendency that that he had but he found it endearing and so he embraced it uh this guy's gone the other way these are the only two examples that i can think of that we know of that are real people that he's put in there but you must imagine if that's what he's want to do that there are multiple other real people in this this life don't talk to me about life is a a line that one of um dose's more depressed friends is uh supposed to have said ah um so so there there is a sort of forerunner of uh marvin as well but yeah i'm i'm guessing and uh based on the fact that um lots of things that Douglas becomes interested and obsessed by appear in the books. I'm guessing there are more people mm-hmm. that he really knows in the in the Hitchhikers that or really know that are still living and around in Hitchhikers than we than we really know about. Mm. Would you Would you like to be in it? Would I like? To? Yeah. If If they were doing another book, and someone could, ba- would they could base a character on either of you? Would you Would you do it? Would you be upset? I don't think I'd be upset. I think I'd probably be a slightly annoying character that you wouldn't really want in your book. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mean enough to be an antagonist. So I'd just be some little character sketch that allows Ford to say something kind of whip smart at, and then move on to the next scene. That's a shame, isn't it? That's that's me. Oh, and now uh, to get some salt and protein. Peanuts are very good for replacing salts and proteins lost from travel via matter transference. There's not a lot lot to say about uh, peanuts, but I do have a tangential question. Mr Hickman, what's your go-to snack for a long journey? I think for most of us in the modern world, we're used to to kind of uh, picking up up things on on the go, grabbing things on the fly, you know, they'll... um, They'll, they'll 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 make breakfast cereal into a into a bar that you can take off the shelf now. That's 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 the world we live in right now. Um, They're going to make it so you can shove it straight up your ass and cut out the middle man. Right? For all the good it did me, I might as well put it up my ass. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we we used to we used to having convenience. We used to be able to, being able to grab food when we go. So there's not many times when you're going to go on a long journey where you're going to need to plan snacks. So. If, you, if I'm going to talk to you about my go-to snack for a long journey, something that I'm going to take with me, it's going to be the nearest thing that I've got to space food. Ooh. Which is energy gels. Uh, oh. When I'm running. Ah. Um, I, I, I don't know if, it, if any of you have ever encountered an energy gel. No. Yeah, they are, they are not delightful snacks no. at all. They are known for doing two things. They're known for giving you enough uh, quick-release um carbohydrate to um, continue to move and they're known for giving you the shits <laughs> oh so they're known for making you move as quickly as possible um so that you can get to the toilet yeah so if if you if you're a runner basically your life is all about finding the really really fine line between having your energy gels uh not too late that you run out of energy not so soon that you <laughs> yeah yeah that you do something awful there it is something awful befalls you there it is there it is so uh so yeah my my go-to snack for a long journey is un- unfortunately heavily processed easily digestible um glucose gloopy space food mush 
and it's and it's, it's not very nice. But on the other hand, if I've got a little bit of time and I get to the train station, I'm about to go on a long journey. I will go into the M and S and I will get a couple of train beers and wasabi nuts. Oh, so you can't go in the quiet carriage with those. I traveling is good because you can drink when you're not normally allowed to drink so it's not you know you can go to an airport and have a drink at five in the morning or four in the morning or three in the morning or two in the morning it's like airport um, lounges as well isn't it they're they're the only sort of safe safe space for 10 o'clock in the morning beer aren't they really yeah because no one can judge you because they don't know if you've just come in from arrivals um or uh or, or departures all time um, zones yeah. stop when you go through security but is peanuts funny is the thing i'm thinking about oh peanuts the comic i thought you meant i thought you meant was the choice of peanuts as a prop in um in hitchhiker's funny i, I mean I, I, I don't i don't know so um i hate to keep bringing this back to running but um nuts are genuinely a really really useful nutritious snack and it is a thing where you know you kind of you you have a belt of peanut butter before you go out because you know that's going to give you a bit of slow release and you have protein when you get back and you have protein bars and all those sorts of things it's all it's it's almost like um either he paid attention in o level biology or or he was having a go at what would have been like emerging trends around kind of um interest in in nutrition because it's quite a nerdy scientific thing that you say oh yeah you can have some peanuts now because they're the easiest salty proteiny thing but they probably they probably um saved my life in my first year at uni because my dinner most nights was a couple of packets of dry roasted peanuts and a couple of pints of guinness all the major food groups all the major food groups just need an orange apparently now, before we move on, we're going to be at the Birmingham Podcast Festival uh, on the 7th, uh, which, well, which is on the 7th and the 8th uh, of July, 2018. Uh, we're going to be closing it out um, on the Sunday. Wow. Uh, but we would very, very much like you to come and join us. If you are in Birmingham uh, for that, uh, for those dates, then come along and join us and lots of other shows uh, also sort of adjacent to the shows what we do. Um you can find a lot more information and get your tickets. They're only £15 for a day or £25 for uh, two days, which is a lot of entertainment um, for 25 quid. Uh, so if you want to um, if you want to check that out, see the lineup uh, and uh, find out how to book, then brumpodfest.com is the uh, easiest place to go. And we will hope to see you there. And now for something perfectly normal. No one knew where the perfectly normal beasts came from or where they go. Um, they were so important to the lives of the Lamuelans, it was almost as if nobody liked to ask. Arthur and Ford distracted one with a pick bird presented by old Thrashbarg, and they ride it to the domain of the king. Uh, we will worry about the uh, mixing of tenses at a later date. I'm sure uh, it will all come out in the edit. Uh, I think we can assume that, um, as vegetarians, both of the Johns, uh, you would not eat a perfectly normal beast. But I'll, I will ask you, Mr. Bounder, um, were you to uh, partake of, of... I was going to say partake of the flesh, but that sounds something entirely different. If you were a meat eater, um, would do you think you would be put off by um, being presented with a, a prime cut of perfectly normal beast? It seems to me that meat eaters aren't put off by the names of anything, or indeed what the <laughs> things are, or which parts of the animal they come from. Or... We're actually very good at giving names to things that, that obfuscate 
<laughs> the, the bits of the animal and yeah. sometimes the animal itself that we're eating. I was going to say, presumably, there's um, perfectly normal beast is the is 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 the meat name, and there's actually a, a different animal name, or is it vice versa? Well, oh, it's like the the French and the English, yeah, um, exactly. because that's Durf why we call yeah beef. Uh, we don't call it cow, and we don't call pork pig. We use the French word, yeah. But that is supposedly because the uh, in Norman times when English was sort of um, solidifying into slight. The uh, more modern times than it had previously been. It was uh, the upper class knobs that spoke French that ate it, mm-hmm. and the um, lower class people that actually had to look after the damn animals before they were slaughtered. Mm-hmm. But uh, ah, so they couldn't even get a bit of mutton. So I, yeah, the, but, but I mean, yeah, but you, you, you all, you all meat eaters, you will eat. Um, Anything you will eat? Uh, we'll eat bloody anything we will. I hate to go past a, a, a trendy butcher's these days to see exactly what part of what animal is hanging up, uh, being smoked, or, or whatever. I probably have a just a, a like a perfectly normal tofuy beast or something. Um, <laughs> I wonder what Linda McCartney would, uh, would 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 do in the perfectly normal beast territory. Um, Paul could do a song, and Linda would um, <laughs> Linda would make something that is in the shape of whatever the joint is, but tastes exactly like what all of her other um, vegetarian <laughs> foods taste like. <laughs> something um, almost entirely, but not unlike tea. I mean, I'm guessing perfectly normal beast tastes like chicken. I would I would think more more like a, a more like a ball. I, I mean, I think the animal is more like, is is more like that. But if um, if people are unsure. Then they always seem to lean on like chicken is vanilla meat, isn't it? It is, but the other thing that people will say is if it's not necessarily like chicken, or they don't want it to say it's like chicken, but they don't know what it is, mm-hmm. they'll say, "Oh, it's a bit gamey, isn't it?" Oh, a bit gamey. Oh, so yeah, so, gamey, so, mm, so isn't gamey just posh talk for rank? <laughs> is um is perfectly normal beast? Does it count? Is it counted as wild meat, or or is it or is it farmed because? Um, oh, it's got to be wild, hasn't it? Yeah. It's wild. It's furious. <laughs> absolutely, it was absolutely livid. Yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not the meat at the uh, restaurant at the end of the universe. It's not it's not engaging. No, with us today. Um, no, it's good because there 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 are some some people on the on on the on the spectrum of where you sit around uh, animal proteins. You kind of think, well, that's okay. Because it's wild and it's not farmed. George Monbiot would eat it if it had been run over. <laughs> well, that's going to make it nice and tender anyway. So he does. Um, he does recipes for. He doesn't live too far away from us. He does recipes with things like roadkill squirrel and stuff. But, he, oh, but yeah. other, other than that, he's vegan. <laughs> uh, and now to Rupert. Persephone is a new planet discovered beyond the orbit of Pluto, which was nicknamed Rupert after the parrot belonging to one of the astronomers that discovered it. It has a dark and sombre landscape, a terrain so desperately far removed from the heat and light of its parent sun that it seemed like a map of the psychological scars on the mind of an abandoned child. I'm not sure I have a question here. I just really want to chew over that as a, as a sentence. I think I might need a minute. I'd um I'd like to ask my perennial question, which is: Is this a real planet? Uh, now, uh, no, I don't think so. Didn't they name one? Yes, I think Persephone. I think is a name of a moon. A moon, not our moon, not our moon, <laughs> not our moon. But I think a moon. Right. Okay. I just, I, you know, I get, you know, I get confused with these. Oh no, of course. Especially, especially because there, there is, there is a real tradition. Uh, for the scientific community to reach out into science fiction and science fantasy for inspiration for naming things as well. Yes. 
Um, you, do you know the thing? Do you know the thing about when they went round the dark side of the moon? Our moon. When they went on the dark side of our moon. You don't want to get on the wrong side of our moon. <laughs> You'll know, you be absolutely furious. When they when they first went round the, the the dark side of our of our moon. Okay, it doesn't matter how many times I say it or how I say it. No. I'm going to crack up, right? The yep. moon, the the moon mm-hmm. that orbits Earth in reality. Yes. They went around the dark side of it. Yes. In a spaceship. Yes. Right. Yes. And they they spotted some. Pink Floyd did. What, they what? I was going to say, did they have Alice in Wonderland playing at the same time to see if it would sync up with anything? <laughs> when they got around there, they saw something. Uh, it, in the same place where um, Arthur C. Clarke had positioned TMA-1, the Ooh. monolith, in 2001 A Space Odyssey, oh. there was something there, and they freaked out. And one of the reasons why they freaked out was because Arthur C. Clarke kept on nailing things before they'd even happened. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a thing about how they, no, nobody could get patents on satellites because Arthur C. Clarke had already invented them and written it down. Um, there's the thing about how he he wrote about slingshotting around planets and gravitational pull first, and then scientists went, actually, that's a good idea, and we could use that to get satellites and probes out uh, out out of orbit. So, yeah, there's um there is a there there is a, a a lot of flux between reality and science fiction, um, not helped by this sort of nonsense. So the idea of Another planet throwing everything out of whack in the universe is a pretty good one, isn't it? It's um, and how many of us, honestly, truly, could say we know anything about where any of the planets are or any of the things that we see in the sky? Anyway, so it could, you know, it it sounds entirely plausible because it would be, and the fact it would be a. I don't know a week's worth of magazine art, magazine style articles on the news. Then the, they'd all go straight back to talking about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, <laughs> uh, and you know what I mean. So it would be uh, because no one they, you couldn't have arguments about it. So it it would fall out of uh, I don't know the news cycle really quickly, wouldn't it? It would. We are very very good at um, ignoring things that are seemingly world-alteringly important um, and increasingly vital. We're very good at shrugging those off and either, you know, saying we'll worry about them tomorrow or they don't exist or we'll just not worry about them at all. Um, And so if it were to be the case that Persephone actually did change how uh you know it made it made a an alteration that was not just to do with horoscopes Mm. um then we would do a very good job of talking about it for a week and then or it would come up every so often it would come up around election time uh and then it would go away again because it's just too big to deal with it would be like it would be like um climate change we don't really want to talk about climate change but it will be it'll be the top story on the news the day a new report comes out and then we'll go back to an absolutely bugger all about it that's it we'll argue about it for a bit some people will say it's fake nigel lawson will be paid to uh, come on today program and uh, claim that it doesn't exist and there's no there's no scientific agreement that this planet actually exists there's a lovely bit in red dwarf about about um Pluto and Neptune changing positions as the outermost planet of the solar system and it, and it changing everyone's horoscope. Ah. It's just a little bit of background texture. It's the, the people who um, had the, the game bands for Better Than Life oh, yeah. that eventually become the crews. 
they were basically hippies who were heading out to the the edge of the solar system ready for this celestial moment and uh they describe this culture where there are, there are people getting really really excited about their horoscope realignment and really kind of in, you know taking it on board and making it their life to kind of make make this journey but then along the way they get they get hooked into this into this game instead um ah. and it's 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 one of those things that we talk about a lot when we talk about adams like a, a really nicely drawn little vignette yes that yes that feels that feels like one of the little the little bits that um that our next subject uh, would have would have done in the radio series or just you know uh, maybe a, a sub chapter somewhere that you would have read about in in one of the books mm. and now to the voice of the book Peter Jones is the voice of the guide in the first two radio series and the TV series. He purportedly had trouble saying the word encyclopedia, as I think we've discussed before. So uh, they ended up splicing two different recordings of the word together. Keen listeners to this podcast and the original series might notice that I tend to slip into Jones's pattern of speech when I'm reading Adams's words, and that's mainly because I've heard them so many damn times that his delivery is almost baked into my brain, and for that... He deserves our love and respect. Is it worth one of us, any of us, uh, doing the uh, how Peter Jones was cast anecdote story thing? I would love to hear that. It's probably an apocryphal tale, but apparently, when they were casting for the voice of the of the book, uh, lots of you know, there's lots of discussion backwards and forwards. All the Jeffrey Perkins and Douglas and other people, and they were saying, "Well, what we want is a is a voice that's a bit." Peter Jonesy, and then they go. Yes, we need a Peter Jones type. And they're, yeah, they're going through the the list of people they thought they could get out of uh, Radio Equity or whatever it's called. We could, do you think we could get? And then apparently the the the, the producer secretary just said, "You know who's got a Peter Jonesy type voice? <laughs> Angus Deaton. Angus Deaton, absolutely. I've heard that as well. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I, I I very much hope it's true, um, and and I kind of believe it actually from from the you know from the source. So yeah, uh, I think I think that is lovely. He looks like a bank manager, like he 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 just has one of those faces, and he has the demeanor. When uh, I think one of the things that doesn't come across in obviously in the radio or, or even the TV series because you never see his face is he's actually got a very kindly face, whereas when you listen to him i think he sounds a lot drier and a lot more sardonic than his delivery um normally would be um because he's a little bit more like a cross between john lemesure and whoever played uh, captain mannering um you know he's sort of um he's sort of got mannering's job but he's a little bit more lemesure I, I find him i find him as an actor, really interesting because I never see him, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think his fame, and he was quite famous, mm. was before my time. Mm-hmm. And in things, and also in things that don't get repeated, because he was yes. long time the host of the news quiz, was he, or a panelist on the news quiz? Uh, I think he was a panelist, and I think he did. Well, I know he did. Just a minute, a fair uh, bit. So yeah, so that um, so yeah, think they don't really repeat. They haven't yet invented um, Dave for. Well, I'll let, let's be honest. Forex does repeat all sorts of crap, but it doesn't. Yeah, what what used to be BBC, BBC Seven was was Dave for the radio, and finally, let's take a short hop. The Fargilor Kangaroo Relocation Drive is a means of travel by which a ship may be ejected suddenly through the fabric of the space-time continuum and come to rest far from its starting point. 
This is, however, an emergency device, and there is rarely time to plot where the ship will land. Uh, Mr Hickman, other than it being um, useful for getting a writer out of a jam, um, how or why would a piece of technology like this actually exist? Mark, I normally um, speak up for these forms of propulsion, but this one is not for me. You got nothing? I know, no, not for me in the sense of I, I will not, I will not defend this. There, there, there is, there is nothing good about this except for, as you say, let's just move the story on. We've got to get, we've got to get somewhere. Let's go. It needs to be somewhere that the characters don't want to be, and it needs to be unpredictable. Yeah, it's, it's um, that if, if you think about it for more than the, the than the, the two seconds of time it gets, it will all fall apart, uh, and and already the. Um, this whole debacle is unraveling in the in the minds of our listeners, and I'm I'm slowing down deliberately to allow them time to think about how. Ref- oh, it's not good, Mark. I'm more interested in the branding. Our <laughs> Fargilor kangaroo is that the name of the company? Did it want? Was it originally built to move kangaroos as some sort of? Uh, <laughs> is it sort of like you know an Australian company and uh, they discovered that it could do something else? But way back in the time, it was a, a kangaroo relocation drive. Is it? Um, is it someone's name? Is it someone's double-barreled name? They were Mr. Kangaroo and uh, Mr. and married Miss Fargalore. And they uh, <laughs> and they couldn't bring themselves to uh, either just use one of the names or portmanteau them in the way that some modern people do. Well, see, I I, th- I thought the name I thought the name was was strange as well. But again, it was for for me. I couldn't quite couldn't quite get to where you are because I just kind of got to this point where I was like, but kangaroos are from Australia. That's on Earth, and this is a, a spaceship, and oh. Unless kangaroos exist somewhere else, is it just babelfish? Babel, oh, oh, just babelfish. Babel, just babelfish. wavy hand babelfish. Yeah. Me, I mean, I mean, such a, I mean, such a grump about this, Mark. You can't wavy hand babelfish me on this one. Which uh, piece of the trilogy does this come out of, Mark? Uh, this is in the radio series, and it is how the uh, it's how specifically Arthur and well, in fact, I think it's how how all four of them. Uh, or five of them get off the ship mm-hmm. um, that is hurtling. Uh, it is the it is the head of the the vanguard of a of a fleet of Hagunennons. Uh, so this may be possibly more of um, John uh, John John. What's his face? Oh work? yes, uh, John John Lloyd. A man who has Let's equally produced some things. The uh, <laughs> it's. Um, well, or maybe it didn't make the books then, because Douglas himself realised that it was a fairly weak plot device. Although, let's be honest, um, the heart of the heart of uh, gold and the infinite impossibility drive do exactly the same thing, but with more elegant backstory. But the the heart of gold stands up. The heart of gold stands stands up more because you don't have agency with the improbability drive. But with with this, the the conceit is that you're just going to press a button and it's going to take you somewhere and you don't have time to program it. Fuck it. I had a video recorder. I used to program it in good time so that it would tape whatever crap I was going to, like Red Dwarf or whatever, in the evening. I'd, I'd do that in the morning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be there at 
at 8.29, one minute before it goes, oh, God, how do I program this to record? What what am I doing now? What, get the tape. And blah, yeah, blah. but you weren't being attacked by a sofa. I would, I would have... I would have the coordinates of a place that I want to go programmed into it. So if I need to slap the button, I can slap the button and I can go there. Uh, but, oh, by the way, if I can program something in there and I'm going somewhere, when I just program that in there and press the button and go there right away, the the drive itself gets in the way of the reason why you're in the... Ooh, I'm going to upset myself from this now because I'm getting so cross with this drive. They would be printed the Fargalore Kangaroo plus codes in the paper just by... <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, uh, we are going to leave you. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we will be with you again next week. Uh, and in the meantime, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and come and say hi. We're nice. Uh, you can follow John Hickman at John Hickman. You can follow John Bounds at Bounder. And you can follow me at I Am Stedman. Do come along to the Birmingham Podcast Festival on the 7th and the 8th of July. It would be lovely to see you there. You can come and shake our hands and give us a hug and um, call us cool fruits and all of those things that you'd like to do. Um, we are going to... We're, we're, we're going to be on the legendary stage, uh, the pyramid stage, um, uh, in, in a, in a theatre. It's going to be great. Uh, so come and join us. Brumpodfest.com. Bring a towel. Bring a towel. Until next week, share and enjoy. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. Are you aware that Arnold Schwarzenegger, I may have done this on the show before, are you aware that Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot dub his own films into uh, German because he sounds too much like a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. Whether it's from your own two lips, I'm not sure, it's, but I have It's the David Prowse problem. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I think I may have said the same thing, like, I want your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle. Tear the ship apart <laughs> until you find those plans. Bring me the passengers. <laughs> I want him alive. I'll be back. You are some children in uh, <laughs> kindergarten. It's not a tumour. <laughs> right? To the chopper. <laughs>